Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralysed, and he healed them. Takes care of the back of the house. You wanna, you wanna go around and take the lights off the front? Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, hey, by the way, thank you. If it wasn't for you, I don't know who'd get on that roof. You are awesome. Yeah. He's uh, at the house. You're talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. They leave their lights up all year round. They leave their lights on all year long. Here, check it out. So they leave their lights on all year long. All year long. And those bulbs change according to whatever holiday season it is. Get out. Can't wish I could. So like July 4th? Those bulbs come red, white, and blue. Thanksgiving. Harvest colors. Halloween. Black and orange. Memorial Day. Camouflage. Get out. Can't wish I could. Oh, I, I bet it's embarrassing for the neighbors. Oh, the neighbors. We're totally embarrassed. We complain about it all the time. Oh, and when there is no holiday season going on, those bulbs become little red hot chili pepper lights. What? Yep. Give me one good reason why you should celebrate the pepper. Can't wish I could. It's like your neighbors are Motel 6. To my wife, she's always saying, let's just leave the lights on just a little bit longer. Let's just stay in the spirit of things. But when Christmas is over, you take down the lights. Am I right? I don't know. I'm not even the right guy to ask. I don't even put lights on my house. Why don't you put lights on your house? I'm afraid of heights. But the question is, why do you put lights on your house? To celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ, all that kind of stuff. There you go. That's your answer. What? If you don't want to celebrate Christ all year long, then take the lights down. That's not what I was saying. You're putting words in my mouth. You're siding with my wife. Hey, hey, I'm not siding with anyone. I'm, and I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you and God were, uh, you know... On the outs? Yeah. We're not on the outs. Me and God, we're very tight. We're very, very tight. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Prove it. Prove what? Are you daring me to leave my lights on all year long? Hey, no dare here. I'm just saying, you gonna let your little light shine? Wait. Man the ladder, my friend. What? Man that ladder. We're gonna get back up there and hang these lights. No, 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 oh, I was just kidding. Oh, yes. It is going to be a proclamation of my faith. Didn't you hear? I I'm afraid of heights. You're already up there. <laughs> honey, honey, get the apple cider ready. Put on the Perry Como records. These lights are going to shine. <laughs> get back here. These lights have to shine. Oh, 
little bit of fun to get us started for the day. Uh, do you have Christmas lights? Do you let them up all year long? Uh, I don't, and I'm not, not going to accept that challenge either, so that's not actually what's going to happen. Uh, but it's interesting as we think about letting our light shine and, and letting others come to know Jesus as we start this year. Uh, today is in many ways our launch service for the year. There's been a lot of people away for a number of weeks. And so as we come towards February, we start to look towards where are we going this year as a church? And so I want to pose a question just as we get started. I want you to think for a moment for yourself. What Christians inspire you? What Christians inspire you? Now, when I say that, you might have a particular name or a particular person. There, there might be, oh, yeah, my, my you know, primary school Sunday school or my primary Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. Or maybe it was someone at your neighbor or someone who's on your street or someone that you know. Or maybe it's a type of Christian. Uh, it's a Christian that you know that you say, a Christian who you know, follows through with what they say, or a Christian who really stands up for Christian values. Or what is a person or who are the Christians that inspire you? Another question that is sort of connected to that is as follows. What kind of Christian do you aspire to be? What kind of Christian... Do you aspire? Now, you might aspire to be that kind, even though you're a long way from it at the moment. And that's okay. I'm not asking you what kind of Christian you are. It's what kind of Christian do you aspire to be? What are you aiming for? What are you hoping for? Uh, something that's really struck me over the last couple of weeks is over the school holidays, you may not be aware, uh, but actually one of the students from the school passed away, which I, I cannot begin to fathom what it would be like to lose a child. Especially as a dad of two kids, it, it kind of it hit a couple of times. And I haven't had a lot to do with it, and Kelsey will probably share a little bit more around this. But one of the things that's really stood out, both through their presence in social media, and I've also been told about how they presented at the memorial service yesterday, is how incredibly phenomenal the parents' faith has been. And just some of the things that the parents have been able to say about their trust in God being a good God in the midst of this. I aspire to be like that. I aspire that when things actually hit and the rubber hits the road and, and faith goes a little bit pear-shaped because of circumstances, I aspire to be able to stand firm in my faith. What about you? What do you aspire to as a follower of Jesus? Uh, increasingly now, if you live in Australia, you live in the West, and it's probably not news to you, but increasingly now in the West, we live in a post-Christian era. Uh, Post-Christian is very different to pre-Christian. You can go into a pre-Christian place and they don't know all the Christian stuff, and so you can bring the good news afresh, and people can go, oh, wow, that really is good news. But when you live in a post-Christian era, you live in an era where many, if not most, people have got an idea about Christianity, whether it's accurate or not, and they've decided they're not interested. That we live in a time when the vast majority of people actually want nothing to do with the God that we follow. And in some ways, that's because they actually don't know. They don't actually know the true God. They don't actually know what Christianity is about, because maybe we haven't done as good of a job at letting our light shine. And in some cases, they actually do know. And they've made the conscious choice 
not to follow and not to be interested in. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to look at uh, three kind of key aspects as we start our sermon series for this year, looking at our vision as a church of who are we going to be as a church. So one of the questions I want us to look at and be reminded of, and we always have to come back to this, why on earth are we here? What are we meant to do as followers of Jesus? Why do we bother coming along on a Sunday morning and why do we bother gathering in other circumstances in other places? Why do we actually do anything more than just accept our faith and go, all right, Jesus, you can come. I'm ready for you to return so I can enjoy my time in heaven. What are we meant to do? And if you're like me, and maybe you're not, and we can work around and see where that sort of goes, but if you're like me, I'm not satisfied with the status quo. I actually don't want to just accept that Australia is a lost nation and that we can't actually see people come to know Jesus. I absolutely would say it's incredibly difficult and that we live in a time when it's really, really hard to see people on the journey towards Jesus. But I don't want to accept the status quo. So what does it look like for us to not just go, you know what, it's a lost cause, let's just go and be Christians, bunker down somewhere uh, and wait for Jesus to return? How do we as a church say, no, we will continue to see people come to know Jesus because they need to know Jesus? So how, in the 21st century, do we intentionally reach people? I don't know if it's a surprise to you or not, but generally speaking, people don't accidentally become Christians. Now, there are some crazy stories where someone has an angel appear before them and it becomes really apparent that God is real and they go, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian. That is not the everyday story. That is the crazy, oh my goodness, that's an amazing testimony story. So the average person is not going to accidentally stumble into faith. The average person needs us to be intentional and needs us to live our lives through the lens of how am I helping people to journey towards Jesus. Uh, so our sermon series that we're going to kick off the year with is called Fostering Faith. And we're going to take some time over the next five weeks to look at our discipleship pathway and our approach because as a church, you, might, you may have forgotten it or it may not be embedded because this takes time to get in. We actually have a very intentional approach to how we do things. We have an intentional approach to how we help people journey towards Jesus. And so each week, we're going to take another part of that journey and explore it and see what it looks like and be reminded so that we as a church can make a difference in our culture. Uh, firstly, we're going to look at the idea of what is the topic of foster. What does foster mean? So the word foster is a verb. I'll bring out my, my old, you know, second my English teacher wife for a moment and get all Englishy. It's a verb, which is a doing word. It's something that you do. Faith is actually something that we, we do. We live it out. It's not just something that we believe. And so if you're going to foster faith, that means there's actually something to do. Uh, in the definition there, the idea is that the teacher's task is to foster learning. They have to actively seek to help their students learn. And so as followers of Jesus, part of our job is to foster our own faith and to foster other people's faith. And so that means that we need to learn and see what it is that we do. 
How do we foster faith? And another question to ask is why? Why do we bother with this? Why do we, in fact, not just sit back and wait for Jesus to return? Because we could. In in many ways, you'd say that some Christians do do this. They come to faith and they go, all right, now I'm just going to kind of go about things and eventually one day Jesus is going to return. Maybe I'll die before then, maybe not. But for now, it doesn't actually need to matter in my life. Well, the reason that we don't do that, the reason that we foster faith is because of the words that Jesus gave to us as he was about to leave. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, his most famous statement of his vision for what the church would be about why the church exists and it will not be new because i think i use this every third or fourth week because it is that central to our understanding of christianity then jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We actually cannot get away from the fact that if you've decided to follow Jesus, this is what you've decided to do with the rest of your life. That when you decide to say yes to Jesus, you're not just saying yes to an eternity with him in heaven. You're saying yes to spending the rest of your life living intentionally to make disciples. And there's lots of different ways that looks like, and it's actually meant to be something which is as you go, make disciples. It's not meant to be this big onerous thing that's too complicated. There is a way of following Jesus which is not exhausting. We make it exhausting because we try and do too much and we try and keep as much of our normal life and as our follower of Jesus' life and they clash and they don't mesh together. Uh, So as a church, we have a thing called the Austin Cove Way. Uh, I'm not giving you that document this time. If you need another copy of that because you've lost it, uh, let me know. Uh, This is not going away. It's not just a fancy thing on a piece of paper. This is how we as a church have determined that we're going to follow Jesus. And so our mission as a church is very simple. We wanted one statement, which is really simple. That's to journey with people towards Jesus. If you want to memorize one thing, that's all we would actually love you to memorize, that we are journeying with people towards Jesus. Everything else that we're going to look at today, you are not expected to be able to rattle off. You're not expected to just know it. But the hope is that over time, it actually just becomes so much a part of what we do that it's just how we live. So when it came to coming up with a vision, uh, rather than going the approach of having a mission statement, was this little thing and a vision statement that was just a little line, we actually wanted something that painted a bit more of a picture, that, that told a little bit more of a story. So our vision story as a church is that between now and 2030, So we've got a few years yet. There's still another six years working through this. We've got time. Between now and 2030, we will advance the kingdom. So we're not satisfied with the status quo. We're not satisfied with just, if in 10 years or in six years' time, the same people are sitting in the same seats at the same time. That is just not what we're looking for. But even beyond actually having people sitting in these seats, It's actually even about our community. If our community looks the same in 2030 as it does today, 
then we haven't done what we aspire to do. We want to advance the kingdom. We want to take ground for the kingdom. That in six years' time, South Yonder up the broader Pill region and to the ends of the earth actually looks a little bit different because we exist. Because we actually care and because of what we do. So now in 2030, we will advance the kingdom of God by engaging people firstly throughout the Shire of Murray. The Shire of Murray is unashamedly our focus. The Shire of Murray is where we put most of our time and effort. When questions come up and opportunities raise themselves and they say, hey, would you like to start a church in Mandra? We actually probably say no. Because that's not what we sense God has called us to. He has called this church to have a focus on the Shire of Murray. So we look in South Yagra, we look in Ravenswood, we look in Pinjarra, uh, we look in Kalkula, we look in all of the areas that bring into the area of the Shire of Murray, and we say, you need to know Jesus, and it is part of our job to focus in those areas. Then beyond that, we recognise that we are part of the Peel region, and that we do actually have some opportunities to make a difference in that broader space. And maybe the day will come down the track where we are part of something that is outside the direct Shire of Murray. Uh, we're not looking to that right now. We've got enough on our plate, just in case you weren't sure. But we recognise that, okay, there may be some opportunities that come up that actually would make a difference locally because they make a difference in the Peel region. And so that we might say yes to. And then beyond that, we recognise that we are a privileged country. We are a privileged people in a very privileged part of the world and we believe jesus has called it to make a difference for the least of these to the ends of the earth and so we very strategically partner with just two groups who we aim to do a lot more by doing a little bit we do it do a lot with a few groups to make a difference to the ends of the earth and so we do this by encouraging them to encounter God in transformative ways. We don't want people to just go tick the box of yes, Jesus, on a, on a, a census. We want people to be transformed by him. And so that's what we seek to do. And we equip people, and this is probably an area we've got some work to, to move and to grow in. Uh, we equip people to be sent as devoted followers of Jesus into the world. And so everything we do as a church is put through the lens of this statement. Whenever anything comes up, whenever any opportunity arises, it is put through the lens of this statement. Does this thing help us achieve this? Does this opportunity draw us closer to this? Or may this opportunity be a really good thing for someone else? May this opportunity be a really good thing that actually would distract us from this because we want to make a difference and we're not going to do so by doing a million things and so this draws our focus this is our vision story and we break it down into three different areas firstly we recognize that actually life is a bit like a journey and as we said our mission statement is we journey with people towards jesus and there are some key steps along the way the first step that I'm going to be unpacking over the next few weeks and that we'll probably talk to a little bit more in a moment is the engage step. 
that we want to help people move from being completely uninterested in faith. And I've got some really good news for you. There's a lot of opportunity here. There are a lot of people who would fit that bill. So we've got plenty of people to work with. So we move people who are completely uninterested in faith. But we simply want to see them move to being spiritually seeking, to being open to the idea that there might be more. The engaged space, generally speaking, unless we're talking about the angel option where the angel has appeared to someone, generally speaking, in the engaged space, you don't see people then go off to Africa to be missionaries because there's just not the step that they're going to take. In the engaged space, you may not even see them come to church. You may not even see them be interested in coming into this kind of environment. So we look to help people just move from uninterested to at least willing to explore. And so we have a number of events that are in the engaged space. Then we move into encounter. Encounter is the next part of the journey. So someone's at least now open to the idea that there's more. And so we want them to have a transformative experience with God. And you can't make that happen. I'm sure every one of you here is a follower of Jesus would be able to name someone that you wish to, 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 sorry to be crude, but you wish you could hit them over the head with a two by four and they would just come to know Jesus because you just know their life would be better and you just can't get them to do it. And here's the bad news. You can't. You can't make it happen. But we can have relationships and environments that foster this, that encourage this, that create space where God is more likely to be heard or to be seen or to be recognized. And so our job is to do our bit, which is create the space, create the environment, build the relationships, be intentional, and then let God do what only God can do. And that's what we do in the encounter space. And when we run encounter events, and when we do things that fit that bill, we cannot make it happen. But we can play our role. Uh, and then the last one is looking at equip. We want to equip people to actually live this way. Uh, and here's the other thing, which is probably not a surprise. Our culture is not designed to help you follow Jesus. Our culture is not designed to help you make Christian choices. If anything, we live in a time and a culture where it is the opposite of that. And so if your life looks just like everybody else's life, if you as an Australian look just like every other Australian, if you make choices just like every other Australian makes choices, we will not see the kingdom come. And we will not see his will be done. Because our culture does not look like followers of Jesus. Doesn't mean it's all bad. Doesn't mean we can't engage in it. Doesn't mean we can't be a part of it. Doesn't mean we need to run from it and hide from our culture. No, we need the opposite. But we do have to recognize that it's different. And we do have to actually equip Christians to make Jesus' decisions. We have to equip Christians to look at their work life through the lens of following Jesus, to look at their home life through the lens of following Jesus, to look at their friendship life through the lens of following Jesus. And it does not happen by accident. So it's an area as a church that we're looking to grow and we're looking to be inspired in. 
And I saw what this kind of looks like, and I didn't think you were going to be able to see this, but we've got this giant screen now, uh, which actually means it's a little bit more visible. I won't spend a lot of time here because this is what we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. Uh, and I've got a little pointer. So we're going to be working on our steps as we go towards Jesus. But this is how we determine, if you're staying back today for our planning day, uh, you will see this again. Because this is part of how we work out to make sure that we're doing a little bit of all of this. We don't want to be running a thousand things, because I don't know about you, but I'm tired and I don't want to run a thousand things. I want to make sure that what we do is actually quite strategic. And so we want to make sure that we run some regular things which cover most of what we do. And then we add some occasional things, maybe some once-a-year things like camps and that sort of stuff. We're not running 10 camps this year in case you wanted that. I think 10 camps would be really good fun. If we can find nine other churches to organise a camp for us, we will go to nine other camps. But other than that, maybe we'll squeeze in one. We'll see how we go. But it actually helps us make choices so that we are actually doing each of these things and we're not living in an overwhelming way. Uh, you've also got that in your, in your booklet. If you want to have a longer or better look at that later, uh, please feel free to do so. So I'm just going to spend the last remaining time that I have uh, working my way through each of the steps to give you a bit of an idea. And then over the next four weeks, we're going to take one step each week. And each week, we're going to dig into what does it look like to help people take that step. And so the first step that we have on our discipleship pathway is the step of, People moving from being uninterested in God to just being willing to connect. And I'll be very clear with you at this point. In terms of a person's faith, this step really doesn't move people any closer to faith other than them having a relationship with someone that has faith. Someone going from being uninterested to being willing to connect may not make any ground towards their desire to following Jesus. They might still be just as anti-faith as they were when they first started. Now, you also might have someone who's actually willing to connect, who actually is also spiritually seeking. That does happen. But the reason why it's important to have this distinction is I know a lot of churches start to run programs that aim to do this. They just aim to move people from uninterested to willing to connect. And if then if people don't come to know Jesus because of that program, they get rid of that program. That program was never intended to do this. So Toddler Jam is a really good example of this step. Toddler Jam, which we have started and we're starting to get some families and starting to get some traction, it takes time, is just looking to get young mums, young dads, young families into an environment where we are and where we build relationships and build connections and have some fun. Uh, Toddler Jam, at least the way we run it, doesn't have any Christian content. We don't pray before we eat food. It doesn't mean we don't talk about Jesus. It doesn't mean we're not open about our faith and people ask us the question. But Toddler Jam's sole goal is to actually build relationships with families that we would never build a relationship any other way. And that's what this step is all about. It's can you build relationships with people from outside of faith and before you try and get that faith question in there, actually just get to know them for them. Because that's one of the biggest putter offers for people who are wanting to explore Jesus is they have this impression that you're only interested in them 
Because you want them to know Jesus, not because you actually just want to know them. Because you want to have a relationship with them. Because they matter. They're not just a goal to get saved, that you actually care about them. And so the way this works, it might sound strange, is you foster connection. You look to create opportunities that you can connect with other people at a human level. And that's it. That's the goal. That's what it achieves. That's what you seek to do. Uh, and that's Now, you can have some programs do multiple steps. Some programs will do one step. But you need to know why you're doing it and what it's trying to achieve. Uh, the next one is moving people. So you've got connected with some people. You've got maybe a group of people who are at least happy to be around you. They don't scream at you for being a crazy Christian and run off you know, every time you're around them. Uh, they're willing to be in relationship with you. And you're wanting to see them move and actually decide to explore faith. Now, here's the scary thing about someone becoming spiritually seeking. Someone who starts spiritually seeking rarely just explores Christianity. Someone who starts spiritually seeking will also explore Islam, will also explore Buddhism, will also explore any list of things within the different faiths. And actually, as followers of Jesus, we need to be okay with that. And that's a little contentious, but I'm going to say it quite confidently. Because it's actually part of their journey of exploring faith. And if we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we actually have to trust that eventually that's going to shine through. And it's actually in them exploring other faiths sometimes that leads them to go, actually, that Christianity thing, that's got something going for it. So rather than being afraid of people that are exploring other areas, okay, is it dangerous? Could they get you know, down the track in different ways? Yes, they could. But shutting them down does not draw them any closer to Christianity. We want to help them start to seek and we want to be there in relationship so that when they come and ask us a question about Buddhism, we can actually say, well, actually, yeah, this is what I, I might have explored that or had some thoughts about that, but here's why Christianity is the way. The other thing about working in this space is what happens. I think this is the hardest step. This is the step that we least see happen and yet I think it's also the most important step. The way you see people move from being willing to connect to spiritually seeking is by fostering curiosity. What you want people to do is to wonder, what if Christianity is true? What if the story of Jesus is true? What if the faith that my friend has is true? What if? You want them to question, you want them to ponder, you want them to be open to going, maybe I'm wrong. And too often in this space, we are quick to try and get them over the line and say, you need to believe it this way and this is the way it is and you can't think that way. How dare you think like that? And we, we correct them and we tell them they're wrong when actually the very thing they need is the space to wrestle and the space to question and to be curious and to wonder and to have a safe person to come to and ask those curious questions. Now, do we want people to be saved today? Yes. Could a truck hit them tomorrow? Yes. Put that aside for a moment because the reality is most people actually will be in this space for quite some time. And you want to be able to listen and to sit and to learn and to acknowledge their journey and questions 
without having to say, you're wrong, this is why you're wrong, just believe this, whack. Doesn't, it just doesn't work. Foster curiosity. Now, if they ask you, hey, what do you think about this? Go right to town. Let them know exactly what you think about it because they're curious. They'd like to know what you think. But foster curiosity. It will go a long way to letting, helping people bring down their barriers if they know that you're someone that they can safely ask their questions around. It's really uncomfortable because you've got to actually deal with some uncomfortable questions and ones that you're like, I know the answer here. I know what you need to know, but I know you're not ready to hear it yet. And so to journey in the space of the questions. Uh, the next one that, that we're looking at is spiritually seeking. So you've got them to be seeking, but they're still not a Christian yet. They still haven't decided Jesus is the way. They might follow seven different religions and see no problem with that whatsoever. Very common, very common for people to hold to lots of bits and pieces of lots of different faith journeys. The next step you want to see people take is go from spiritually seeking to growing. Now, you might notice there it doesn't say spiritually seeking to saved. There's a very important reason for this. We're going to cover that in a few weeks' time in particular. But what I find is, is actually the step that people take here, where they actually become a Christian is a little bit, I'm not sure. Because for some people, they'll go, you know what, I'm going to get baptised. Now, they've actually probably been a Christian for three or four years before that. They just wouldn't have called themselves that, but actually they've believed it all. Or for some, it's like they'll make a decision. They go, I'm going to follow Jesus. For some, they'll start going to church and no one will ask them the question when they were saved. It actually turns out they were saved three weeks ago and they just assume that you've been going to church forever because they seem to know it all. I actually don't think the moment is what matters necessarily. It's helpful to ask for. It's definitely important to draw people to make that decision where they would say, yes, I'm a follower. But the actual step that I tend to see people take is they just go from being spiritually seeking and sort of a bit like, yeah, they're all things are kind of good, to I'm growing in my Christian faith. I'm actually doing this. Faith is what I believe in. Jesus is the way. And so exactly what part of that they decide to follow Jesus. And we're going to come back to that when we ask the question, when did Jesus' disciples become a Christian? Because if you actually look through the Gospels and look at the story of the disciples, it's actually really hard to pinpoint exactly where they decided that Jesus was the way because there's so many ups and downs in their journey. Uh, after that, the last step that we sort of want people to take, and unfortunately this is the step that a lot of Christians never take, is to go from growing to multiplying. I am convinced this is the step the church has lost in the last 200 years. That this is the thing that's been dropped by the church globally, particularly in the West. And that is why we are seeing Christianity actually drop down more and more and more. Because if every Christian lived a multiplying life, it actually wouldn't be possible for us to diminish in the way that we have. What's happened in lots of ways is we've really focused on just being the Christian and doing the Christian things and not necessarily the lifestyle of ensuring that we're multiplying our faith to the next generation and multiplying our faith to those who are far. Uh, and we'll get into that in more detail in a few weeks' time. But it really is important that 
every follower of Jesus gets to the place where it's actually not just about your own personal growth in faith, and it's actually about you seeing how you can foster the faith of many people around you. And that that's actually what you live for. Because this is the step that Jesus was talking about. This is the step when Jesus said, go and make disciples. This was not an optional statement. This was that every Christian should be doing this. And it's not in a, oh, you're bad if you're not doing this. It's the reality is it's about maturing and coming to learn how we do this in our life. Uh, very quickly, one thing that you'll find us talking to as we go through, it's a thing called uh, the movement catalysts. There seem to be five things. The guy called Andy Stanley uh, did this. There's a book called, Kelsey's going to look at me when I say that name, uh, five things God uses to grow your faith. I may talk about his stuff a bit often. Uh, but here's the reality is that if you actually listen to people's stories and they share their testimony of how they came to know Jesus, it seems over the top these five things come up. Either someone talks about some kind of practical teaching. I started going along to this church and they helped me understand. Or, or I was, went to this seminar and they taught me these things. Or I got some kind of practical teaching that took the theory and helped me see it in practice. Uh, or it's private disciplines. I started reading the Bible and all of a sudden it came to life. I started to pray. I didn't know who I was praying to, but I started to pray. Uh, or I've been a Christian for a while, but then I actually decided to take prayer seriously. And then my faith exploded. Uh, it might be providential relationships. This person came into my life. This group came into my life. I started going to this church. I started going to this Bible study. I started going to this place where these people were. And they exploded my faith. Or personal ministry. Did you know that 93% of people who start going to church will leave within a year if they don't either join some kind of study group or start to serve. Over and above every survey that's been done about people getting connected within church and the effect that serving has, and that doesn't just mean serving in the church, but serving in part of their mission and their ministry, will actually not be connected within a year. Finding your space. What does it look like for you to serve Sundays, but actually, that's a very small portion. Most ministry actually takes place outside of a Sunday morning. It's how you actually serve in your workplace. It's how you serve in your family. It's how you serve in your friendship groups. That's what really matters. And time and time again, people talk about, I got involved in my local scouts group or cadets group or local sporting club or, or I started to serve in the, uh, you know, the, the bridge builders team or whatever it was in those different ways. That's what makes a difference for a lot of people's faith. So I want to read a Bible verse as we draw towards a close. Uh, Matthew 4, 18 to 22. This is all Jesus asks of you. This is all Jesus asks of you at every step of the journey. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting in the into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Jesus didn't check their credentials. Jesus didn't make sure that they had experience in Christianity. He didn't make sure they had all their life together. He just said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. At every step of the journey, Jesus just turns to you again and says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. So ultimately... This is the big picture of our church. This is the big picture of the church. This is the goal. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're to become disciples who make disciples. We're to become disciples who make disciples. And everything we do in our life revolves around how this is played out. As parents, you are making disciples. You are making disciples of your children. As grandparents, you have the opportunity to make disciples of your grandchildren. People in the workplace, you've got opportunities to be seeking those you work with and actually helping them come to know Jesus. In your sporting clubs, in your local groups, you can play a role in helping someone take this step. And it's not an individual thing. It's not on you to win everyone in your neighborhood. You've got to get together with other Christians and be on this journey together. You might notice also a little bit of hope given to you. Jesus, Jesus, this is the Jesus, not like someone called Jesus, but the Jesus, you know, Jesus who is the Son of God, lived intentionally 24-7 with his disciples for three years. And right up until Jesus died on the cross and afterwards, they still didn't get it. Give yourself some grace if it's taking some time. Give yourself some grace if it's not happening quickly. Give yourself some grace if you don't get it. Because Jesus' disciples, they sat at his feet and they didn't get it. It will take time. Discipleship is slow. Here's the good news. You've got the rest of your life. You've got the rest of your life to be working towards this. So the question we're going to look at in a few weeks' time, because I think it's actually really helpful, is when did Jesus' followers become Christians? Was it when they said yes to following him? Was it when they uh, saw Jesus later on and he sent them out and they're out going out and actually preaching about him? Was it, was it further on when they're starting to do some work for him? Was it after Jesus died on the cross? When did they become Christians? We'll explore that in a few weeks' time. So this week, I've got some reflections for you to do. Firstly, spend some time reflecting on your own discipleship journey. How did you come to know Jesus? Go back and reflect on your own journey of faith. Who were the key people? What were the key places? What were the key activities? What took place? And if you're still exploring faith, maybe you haven't decided yet. Maybe you're still open to this. Why are you here today? What led to you being here today? To, to be wanting to be in a church, because church talks about God a bit, but at least it should. So what made you be here for that purpose? What was going on for you to want to do that? Uh, and then, so which of the movement catalysts, practical teaching, private disciplines, providential relationships, pivotal circumstances, and personal ministry? 
Which of those had the biggest impact for you? Spend some time, have a think, and then come back over the next four weeks as we think as a church once again, how do we journey with people towards Jesus? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. And we just want to pray as a church. We want to make disciples. We don't want to just accept the status quo. We don't want to just be uh, another group of people who just goes through the motions. We want to see the Shire of Murray, the broader Peel region, and people to the ends of the earth come to know the transformational relationship they can have with you. Help us, we pray, this year and into the years to come. As we seek to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.